Well, as you find your seats, please also find in your Bibles Acts 13. If you've been here uh, every Sunday, we've been studying the life of King David, so your Bible might automatically fall open to 1 Samuel. Uh, but we ended that uh, book last week with the death of King Saul. And Easter has been a little bit of a challenge for me because I'm used to just flipping the page and going to the very next text. And so I knew we were going to talk about the resurrection today. I mean, you know, it's it's Easter Sunday. Of course we're going to do that. But uh, we're also in the middle of this study. And so I'm kind of reminded again, as we did with Christmas, that Jesus is the son of David. And so all this plays together in my mind. I hope it appeals to you as well. But I didn't have a lot of time to really come up with a topical thing on resurrection. So I'm going to preach somebody else's sermon today, okay? I'm just going to read it. Luckily, it's the Apostle Paul's sermon in first uh, in Acts chapter 13. And this is his first sermon, uh, first recorded sermon that we have after his um, conversion. And after he saw the resurrected Christ, he preaches uh, about the resurrection and he ties it together as God would have it with King David. And so we're in luck. It's all going to fit together. Um, I want to put a little context to this. We hear these names like David and Paul and just who they are. So Paul has an interesting story, and I think it, it's helpful to know um, who this is. We're going to read his sermon now and what his life, you know, his story was. He was a man who was a, a staunch Jewish man. He was very religious. Um, he was a stickler for the rules. He uh, followed them. In fact, you'll know he was the one that was persecuting the early Christians, including Stephen. And um, so he was a, he was a tough guy. Um, very zealous, defending Judaism. And you're going to read in this sermon that he has some words to say about that kind of thought process. He's talking about himself as much as he's talking about the Jews that are listening to him. Well, after he got saved, he spent three years. And the Lord ministered to him, and he, I'm sure, studied the Old Testament scriptures and uh, and prayed and served in many ways. And so here you have a, a guy that was a scoundrel, in, in our view, um, thinking about what God had done for him. And he was changed by the grace of, of God. And so he can relate to people that are very zealous for religion. He can also relate to people who have done some very bad things in their lives. He was repentant of that and he was sorry of that, but he studied the scriptures and he came through that. By the time we get to chapter 13 of Acts, he spent those three years thinking and contemplating and praying. He is on his, what we would call the first missionary journey. Uh, Paul had three missionary journeys. This was the first one. And what we have here, frankly, is his first sermon. Uh, people around here joke sometimes. They used to call me the preacher boy because we've been at this for 20 plus years. And I, I don't know if my voice literally cracked back then, but it was, a, I was a younger guy. And this is Paul's first shot at it. This is his first sermon. And so that's kind of where we set this all together. He just felt compelled to go tell the story that he knew. He's also a sick man. Um, we know elsewhere in scripture, he had a thorn in the flesh. There's many that believe it's right here in this text that we find out, um, some, some speculate he had bad eyesight and there's reasons for that. Some speculated he had something like malaria and that's a reason the geography says he's moving away from the coast and trying to get up to some uh, cooler thing. But he's, he knows the frustrations of not being healthy too. And boys, I think about the resurrection and what it means to celebrate Easter. I think about those who um, have passed away. I think about those who are sick and diseased. And I'm so thankful that Jesus overcame those things, even the grave. And so that has a message for those that are feeling sick. 
One last thing, and you'll see this in the text, is he is uh, he knows what it's like to have broken relationships. In the passage we're going to read, we're going to find a, a little clue. There was a man named John Mark that traveled with him, and they did not see eye to eye on something. In fact, Paul would call him a deserter at one point. And right in this setting, we hear that John Mark left him. And so he's, I think, even reeling or at least going through the... He's a, he's a man with a past in many ways right now. He's dealing with sickness right now. He's dealing with disappointment and broken relationships with other people. And the same message he has is the same one that Peter had, is the same one that Stephen had. It's the same one as David said in his prayer. We have every week, if it's not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we have nothing to say. We have nothing to say to all those frustrations and those troubles. And so that's where we, we face it. If, if not, Paul would say we ought to be pitied. We ought to just go live our lives and party because we are fools to do what we do every week. Well, I have you, we're going to put it on the screen in a second. Don't put it up there yet, Joe, um, in verse 26. But I want you to read the background with me. So if you have your Bibles open, go to verse 13 first. I'm going to walk you through what led to this first sermon. Verse 13, it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. That's that John Mark. That's the one that left. They would later reconcile, by the way, in Second Timothy. Uh, Paul will acknowledge that he had been a great help to him. From Perga, they went to Pisidia Antioch. And on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. So the Jewish at the time would gather every Sabbath and uh, around the word of God. And they're doing, frankly, what we're doing now. They would gather, worship God, and it says in verse 15, read from the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. And the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So Paul was not like the headliner that day. He was a traveling Jew. They knew he was a Pharisee probably. They probably knew he persecuted Christians. And they thought, well, he he'll speak to the you know, the Jewish concerns here. And he, ready for an opportunity, gave it, gave it a shot. So he stood up, it says in verse 16, and he motioned with his hand. And he said, fellow Israelites, so he's speaking to the Jews, and you Gentiles who worship God. Those are not New Testament Gentiles yet. Those are Gentiles who racially, ethnically, um, had, were not Jewish, but they worshiped Yahweh. They went through the rituals. They, they did all the things that they could do, but they weren't technically. And the Jews were very staunch on we're their chosen race. There's, we're special, but they were all gathered here together. The God of the, of the people of Israel chose our ancestors and he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He led them out of the country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land uh, to his people as an inheritance. It took about 450 years. So what he's done is he's connected the history of the Jewish people. Then he says, and this is where it ties into our sermon series, after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. When the people asked for a king, he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. We've been studying that on Wednesday nights. After removing Saul, we saw that last week in the last book of 1 Samuel, he made David their king. And God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. 
and John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. All right, that sets up now our passage, which we'll throw on the screen here for you, starting in verse 26. This is Paul's, the heart of his sermon. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who he had traveled with uh, from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that we will never be subject to decay, so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David had served his purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in our days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Let's pray. God, would this be um, seed in our life to, to bring forth fruit? God, I pray that some today would hear and connect some dots that Jesus is our only hope for forgiveness of sin and that was proven by his resurrection, God. And I pray that those that know him would dedicate our lives, God. Would we, like Paul, um, go wherever we could to tell people about him and just arrange our lives around the truth that our Savior lives. God, now, through your word, would you please uh, teach us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, t- using that text, I'm going to kind of bounce around. We're used to going like word by word by word. But let me kind of make sense of this in my mind anyway is... A is the, or one is the reality of the resurrection. Um, Paul gives some clues here, and I want to pick those out, that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. It's not just some fairy tale. It's not some myth. Um, there's, there's every reason in the world not to believe it's a myth, frankly, and I want to point some of those out. Point A is the, it was confirmed in the Word. You'll notice as we read that, that over and over and over, Paul quotes from the Psalms. He quotes from Isaiah. He quotes from Habakkuk. He is simply, and again, his background in studying the text in, in a Jewish synagogue where they led, read the law and the prophets, he says over and over about the, the fact that this is just confirmation of what the Word of God says. The prophecies are coming to light with the not only the life, but the, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, again, we'll go back at this. Verse 27, it says they gathered in the synagogue. The words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, it says. But they didn't recognize him. They didn't acknowledge that this is the coming promised Messiah. 
Verse 28, they found no death sentence against him, but he was executed. The Bible talks about the fact that the, the lamb would be without blemish and perfect. Verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 29, they had carried out all that was written about him. And those scriptures again, it was a fulfillment of scriptures. And very specifically there, we see a couple clues. They took him down from the cross. Just that word cross, and we've translated, NIV has anyway the word cross. You might have a Bible version that says the tree, okay? Very specifically, in the Greek, it's a word called tree, not cross. And it's, it's the same thing, but it's a different text, a different note. The Old Testament prophesied that anyone who cursed God would be cursed of God, and they would be cursed on a tree, okay? So there's a very specific connection to some Old Testament passages that when the Messiah came, it would be on a tree that he would be cursed by God. And it's to ratchet it up a little bit, when that was written in the Old Testament, there was no Roman Empire who invented the crucifixion on a cross. God had said thousands of years earlier, my son will die in a way that you guys haven't even thought up yet to torture somebody. Very specifically, he's, this is a prophecy, he will die on a cross. And secondly, it says after he died on a cross, they will lay him in a tomb. Now, if you watch some of the movies, you'll understand this, that when they killed criminals on crosses, they didn't bury them in tombs. They threw them in the ditch right outside the city and let them rot and let them burn. Isaiah 53 says he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor no deceit was in his mouth. See, God knew way back when, and Paul's acknowledging this, that he's going to die in a way that wasn't in existence back then, and he's going to be buried in a way that doesn't make any sense for a criminal as you suspect him to be. Down to verse 32, we tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he's fulfilled for us. So he then quotes the second psalm. Down to verse 34, he has another quote of the Old Testament. Down to verse 35, another quote. Down to verse 41, another quote. And I'll come back to that verse 41 in a second. But over and over and over again, what Paul does, and I, and I should have said this earlier, every sermon in the book of Acts, whether it's Peter preaching it, Stephen preaching it, or Paul preaching it, there's I think 13 of them all together, they talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they talk about how it's a fulfillment of Scripture. That's, that's the storyline. They are doing what's, been gone, what's happened now for 2,000 years. Open up the Scripture and say this points to Jesus. It's all been confirmed there. It's exactly what Jesus, by the way, would do when he was on the road to Emmaus. He said he explained from scriptures who he was. So A, it's the confirmation of the scripture, of the word of God. Secondly, is the courage of the witnesses. Look at verse 30. God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him, meaning they wouldn't mistake him as somebody else, from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. He, first of all, he says there's, there's a lot of witnesses that spent a lot of time with him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that there were over 500 people that saw him over the course of several days. That if this was some hoax, if this was some myth, um, it wouldn't go down that way. And Paul's point in 1 Corinthians is you can go ask them today if that's true. If you're ever in court, if you've ever either tried to defend somebody or per- prosecute somebody, witnesses are very important or lack thereof are very important. And Paul's saying, I got a case. You can go ask some of the witnesses right now. You can, there's, there's many of them. Go ask them. But I use the title here, The Courage of the Witnesses. These people would die for what they were testifying to. When it says there that there are many witnesses, um, it, it's the word martyr. And it, 
it developed that because a martyr simply means a witness or to testify. But in the Roman day, when you testified, and to the Jews when you testified, Jesus is either the Jewish king or a king. Caesar didn't like that and the Jews didn't like that. You were probably going to give your life. And these witnesses did exactly that. Paul is risking his life, I think, by traveling as he is. And he was willing to do whatever. He was persecuted. Other people were persecuted too. They were the courage of the witnesses. That normal people, unless they've seen something true, would not give their lives for what they know to be a lie or what they know had been made up. But these people were willing to give their lives for something they knew was true because they witnessed it. They saw it. Point C is Jesus' resurrection changed the world. And I, I tend to get off on this. The world is totally different because a man named Jesus Christ lived here, died here, and rose again. And his followers have gone around the world sharing the gospel and doing good works in the name of Jesus Christ. This world, if you're not a Christian, you should thank God for his son and for his church because, and I don't have time to spell it all out, but this world is a better place because Jesus Christ walked here. And he rose again and he indwells people, and they go out and serve in love. And not just as the world changed in general, but look at verse 14 again. What day is it? It's the Sabbath. That means a Saturday in our, the way we talk. What day is today? It's a Sunday. You know how hard it... Okay, uh, we, we're 22 years old as a church, and I'm not joking. Joking. Let me use good English this morning. It's Easter. I'm not joking. After the first year of doing something, the next year, somebody said, we've always done it that way. One time. You know how stubborn we are and how we just get in the, you know, the grooves and the ruts and it can't change. Do you know how hard it is to change Jewish people from worshiping on the Sabbath to worshiping on the first day of the week? I'll tell you how hard it is. They killed people for trying to do that. There's a ten, one of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. They've even got one of the laws to say you can't do that. We'll kill you if you do. But Jesus rose on the first day and they began to gather on that day. The fact that we're here on a Sunday, not a Saturday is testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the only commandment, by the way, since I mentioned it, that's not reiterated in the New Testament is the, test, is the commandment to keep the Sabbath. Because as the author of Hebrews tells us, Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. We find fulfillment in him, not in keeping the laws and the regulations. So I think the reality of the resurrection is pretty clear. I made my case. Secondly, is the relevance of the resurrection. Well, who cares? What does it have to do with us? How should we respond to this, as I'll get to in my third point? A is the authority of the Scriptures. I, I spent some time telling you and showing you that it's confirmed. It's, it's, when God says it, it's true. And it's going to play out. And it's not just important to say, okay, this stuff is true. The, the, the relevance of it or the consequence of it is that if it's true, we're accountable to it. When God says it, we have to line our lives up with that. There's a consequence if we don't. There's a blessing if we do. And so the relevance of the confirmation is the word is the authority of the Scriptures. And when I use that word as authority, meaning it's something that we're supposed to listen to. James would say, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. 
We are called to live our lives based on what the scriptures say. And we desire to do this. And as they are, verse 52, the only way we can do this is when we're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I want to, I want to confess to you. I'm trying to think of the different conversations I've had, but I don't, I won't call anybody out, but it's very hard to do what God's word says. And it's very hard to want to do what God's word says all the time. Okay. It's, in fact, it's impossible. Unless the Holy Spirit lives within you. Because what happens is the Holy Spirit guides you and directs you and gives you, as Jesus would say, or Paul would say of David here, give us a heart after God's where we want to do what God wants us to do. And so the authority of Scripture is something, uh, the Jews miss this. They can't, you can't just say, I'm going to do it. You need new life in you. You need a life that's um, given to the, to the Lord in all things. And so we are accountable to the scriptures but praise god he gives us a way to do that through his holy spirit point b is the authentication of this authentication of the son where it says there in verse 33 he has fulfilled for us their children speaking of the jewish nation by raising up jesus as it is written in the second psalm you are my son today i become your father what David was writing about and what Paul is saying happened here is when God, when Jesus rose from the dead, it is the heavenly father saying to the world and saying to his son, you are my son. It's the authentication of who he is. Today, I've become your father. It's apparent now that you're my son. It's apparent now you're exactly who you claim to be. And we've used this title. I forget. I should remember this. Who first came up with that uh, line that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. He was either a madman who was delusional or he was a liar to the highest degree or he was exactly who he said he was. He was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. And that's important because point C is that's the only way the sacrifice could be accepted. See, Jesus, it's, it, Jesus's payment for our sin goes like this. Look at verse 28. They found no proper ground for a death sentence. Jesus did not die for a, a single thing he did. The, the, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. If we have committed a sin against the holy God, we deserve to die. It's always been the case. That's just the rules. They're good rules, but that's the rules. None of us have lived up to that standard. But Jesus, verse 28, they found no proper ground for the death sentence. Uh, I was I was just contemplating this this week every once in a while um, through dna specifically and other kinds of evidences we'll find out that somebody's been in prison for a long time and they should not have been there and they're released i've heard stories of even exhumed bodies that you know well they they shouldn't have they were innocent they should not have either been executed or they did not commit the crime that people thought if there were a body there to exhume and there's not because it's easter and jesus risen from the dead there will never be any evidence that he did anything wrong. And see, there's our problem because you must be perfect to be the spotless sacrifice. Otherwise, you're just paying for your own sins. Because Jesus never sinned, he could offer his life for others. And so he is the perfect son of God and acceptable sacrifice. And the resurrection, I hope this makes sense, is like the receipt that God received it. Everything's ordered online today, right? I mean, you just, you don't, anybody ever go to stores anymore? You just punch a button and it's there the next day or whatever. You always get a confirmation email, right? Or hopefully you do. Otherwise you've been scammed, right? 
The resurrection is like the confirmation email. Yes, the payment's been made. The goods are coming. Okay? Jesus' death was the payment. And when he said on the cross, it is finished, that was a, an economic term that meant paid in full. That's the, when the resurrection shows that God accepted that payment, that the payment went through. The author, author of Hebrews puts it this way, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them though they are outwardly clean. How much more will then the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive promise of eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. What he's saying is what Paul is saying to the Jews here. It used to be that you had to go sacrifice things. Now Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And no more sacrifice is needed. Which is point D then, the atonement for sin. Verse 38 and 39 are important here. It says, therefore, my friends. Remember, Paul was a Jew and he was talking to largely Jews or at least God-fearing Gentiles. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. It is the only way, Jesus is the only person that you can say you are totally forgiven and free. You, Colossians tells us we are without spot and free from accusation because of the, what Jesus did. Verse 39, that says through him, and I would add other places, only him, through only him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Do you just see the all-inclusiveness there? You don't have to be a Jew. You don't even have to be good. You have to trust Jesus Christ. And when you do, it says you will be set free from every sin. And I contemplate that because here's what we lose sometimes as Christians. We've, we think that, that Jesus Christ is simply our get out of hell card. That it's just, I now don't have to pay for my sins. And that's absolutely true. And we're singing about, it and we're glad that's true. But the Bible tells us the same power that rose Jesus from the dead indwells the believer. And we are not only saved from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. We are given new life that can now say no when temptation comes. And I know, I know people, and I will throw myself in this lot too, that really fear that someday they're going to face God and they're not going to know what eternity has for them. They're fearful of the penalty of sin. They know deep down inside they do not measure up, that they are not perfect. The Bible tells us that's true. Everyone, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that's true. I also know a lot of people, and, and I think it, it harnesses us, it slows us down, it paralyzes us, who know they're free from hell, but they're not free from sin. And they struggle and they feel ashamed. I'm here to tell you, Jesus' resurrection not only saves you from hell, it gives you the power to live a holy life. And I'm not saying we'll be perfect. I'm just saying don't give up. Pray. Get around Christians. God can help you with that. And what he says there is you're set free from every sin, a justification 
Okay, that's a legal term that means you now long you no longer owe a debt. It's written off. Okay. You were not able to obtain over the law under the law of Moses. Here's where Paul uh, uh, gets uh, uh, gets everybody mad at him. Uh, what he's telling a bunch of Jewish people and a bunch of Gentiles who have joined the Jewish people that I don't care how well you keep the rules. You can't be saved. It's not about being really good. It's not being about the right race. It's not being the right ethnicity. It is trusting Jesus Christ. And not only does he say you may not be able to do it under law, because he says you can't. If someone could keep the entire law, that's not what God designed. His design was not you kill a bunch of lambs and sheep and goats and do that and I'll be pleased with you. His plan was that you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Justification, freedom from sin comes by faith, those who believe in Jesus Christ, and it's by grace. It's not by works. And so Paul's got them pretty... Uh, worked up right now the author of hebrews at 10 again talks about the fact that says goats and sacrifices can never take away sin but jesus christ is the one sacrifice that made perfect forever those who are being made holy in that chapter he also says the sins of the lawless acts i will remember no more and sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary let me say a couple points because you might be thinking okay there is an eternity what am i going to do a, you can't be perfect. Your history has already probably shown you that you're not perfect. And some people understand that, but they say, that's fine. I'll pay for it somehow. I'll either pay for it today by doing good works to offset those bad things, do some religious thing, or I'll pay for a long time somewhere out there and eventually God will let me in. You're not perfect and you can't pay. The only one who was perfect was Jesus Christ, and the only one who could pay was Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here to Jews, but also to Gentiles today, is I don't care how good you are, it's not good enough. I didn't add this on the blanks, but if you want to add it in, we have an assurance of salvation because of that. I can be absolutely sure that when I die, I go to heaven and spend eternity with God. I can be absolutely sure that when I die and I rot away, that when Jesus Christ returns, my body too will be resurrected. I've thought so much about that this week. Not just the spiritual things, but those racked with disease and accidents and those things that just make life hard physically here. Someday we'll have whole bodies. Whether we die in the grave or he comes back, the resurrection proves true there too. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15 a lot, that he's been raised, the first fruit will be raised as well. But I can rest easy, and I mean that with all my heart, I can rest easy knowing where I'm going. And you can too, and it's not because I'm better than you, and it's not because I figured something out, it's because I've accepted the fact that I'm a sinner, I stand condemned before God. Jesus Christ offered his perfect life in my place. And by faith, I say, I need that. And he applies it to me. He forgives my sin. It's as if I've never sinned. I'm totally righteous before holy God. Boy, you can rest easy when that's truth. Well, not everybody liked that, especially those who took great pride in being better than everybody else and being very religious. And so point three is the response to the resurrection. 
Again, Paul is just preaching what every other preacher in Acts preached. There's the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications of that. Well, as always the case, it'll be true here today too. Some will repent of their sin. Some will say for the first time, oh, I get it now. God has flipped a switch in your heart and in your mind and said, I get it now. I need Jesus. It says in verse 24, before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all people of Israel. Now, let me step back in history just for a second. John's preaching of repentance was to a lot of religious people and to a lot of sinners. And repentance means you've changed your mind and you've changed your direction about something. If you're involved in sin right now, you need to change your mind, say, that's not what I need to do. You need to try and change. You need to go in the other direction. But I think very specifically, John to Jews at the time, and even Paul here, is saying you need to repent of the sin of unbelief. You need to repent that you deny that Jesus is who he says he is. You need to repent. You need to change your mind about who Jesus is. I've shown you from the history, from the scriptures, from the changed life, Jesus is the Savior God promised. He's the only way you're going to be right with God. And so you need to repent. I need to repent specifically about Jesus Christ. And I've had this conversation with relatives and friends. I don't know how else to say it. But if Jesus Christ really did what the Bible says and history backs that up and rose from the dead and history backs that up, then what in the world are you thinking that you don't have to deal with that? If that's true, you may have lots of questions. I still have questions. But you can't ignore the fact that the grave was empty. A fool would do that. Point B, some received the Savior. It says in verse 42, Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue. The people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. They didn't all, you know, jump in yet, but they wanted to hear more. They wanted to hear more. Uh, I'm always amazed. It's been my prayer all week. As I prepare a message, is that God's preparing your heart. See, and it wasn't Paul and Barnabas saying, you know, buses will wait. We'll stay here all afternoon until somebody comes forward. Although that has a role, that's not what he did. They wanted to hear more. The way this transaction works is hopefully God, through his word, speaks through me, and you hear it because the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, and you should have a desire to hear more about this. What we're doing again every Sunday is what's happened for 2,000 years. Is people wanting to hear more about God. They, it, it, it is, there's a desire there. There's a stirring in their heart to learn more. And so they said, come back next week. Verse 43, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed them who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. I, I want to read my notes specifically here. This is called discipleship for us. It's how we use the term. If you are curious about Jesus Christ, and if you need and want someone to walk with you and talk with you about what's going on and encourage you to continue with God, I have a suggestion for a church. Grace Community Church. Come back next week. Hear the next story. We will come alongside and we will walk with you through life and talk with you about the things we're learning and encourage one another to continue in the grace of the Lord. That's what the church is. It's a bunch of messed up people pulling together 
Because the resurrected Christ demands nothing less than that. It says the whole city gathered the next time on verse 44. must have been Easter, right? Everybody showed up. For this is what the Lord commanded us. I made you to be a light to the Gentiles and bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We're supposed to take this knowledge to the world. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. Why? Because they had been excluded. It was the Jews. The only ones that could get in were the Jews because of the racial thing and the God's chosen people thing. But they were glad. And it says they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord spread. You see the Bibles all over the place. That's why we do this every week. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what they did. See, they, some rejected their Savior. Verse 45 says, When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on them. Paul's, Paul's offended them in many ways. He said, listen, your history shows that you're a bunch of rebels. You've always rejected God. You've gone off to idolatry. I'm telling you that the works that you count on for eternal life are no good. It's only the grace of God that works. And by the way, those dirty Gentiles get into. Not a way to win friends and influence people. Well, so they began arguing against him and everywhere they went, you know, they kind of followed him. The rest of the book of Acts is that story. But it says in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Meaning the Jews had an opportunity. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. If you're here today and you reject what I've just shared with you, you reject Jesus Christ, let that verse sink in. You do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life. If you want eternal life, the Bible has made it very clear. Anybody can come. You can be free from all your sins by believing in Jesus Christ. But if that's not the way you want to do it, then you don't think it's worth it. You don't consider yourself worthy. But it says in verse 50, the Jewish leaders incited God-fearing women of high standing and leading men in the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went on to Iconium. What Paul's saying is there, we're moving on. You reject it. We've made the offer. We've made the invitation. We're moving on to share with the next people. And you've made your choice. That's, I won't shake the dust off my sandals this morning. But when we leave here, for those who have rejected Jesus, there was a chance to accept him. And we're moving on. Doesn't mean the offer's not still there. It's just we're going to keep sharing the gospel. We're not going to budge on a different way to get saved or this or that. And point D is some rejoiced in the salvation. It says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Hopefully we're filled with joy in the Holy Spirit too because we've accepted Jesus Christ. There was a quote up there in Habakkuk chapter, um, chapter 1 where he talks about Jesus said, I'm going to do something in your day that you won't even believe. And when I first read that, I think, you know what? That sounds like something really cool is going to happen. Back up in verse 41, he says, Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your day that you would never believe, even if someone told you. That's not a feel-good verse. That is in the Old Testament when the nation of Israel rejected God. And the prophet Habakkuk said, listen, God's going to do something you would never imagine. He's going to take your nation away from you. 
you won't listen to me. Maybe the Gentiles can teach you a lesson. And sure enough, the Babylonians came in and destroyed their city. Paul now goes back to that verse and says to these same people, I've told you the same story. You have a chance to respond. But don't mock and don't scoff because you don't, you can't imagine the consequence that comes from that. That's not a glowing verse like God's going to do great things for you. It is your nation's going to be taken from you again by Gentiles. It would happen to, by the Romans in AD 70 because you rejected your King Jesus Christ. There are consequences to unbelief. My hope and prayer this morning is that some of you would receive your salvation this morning. You would understand that Jesus came, lived a perfect life that you could not live, died a death he did not deserve. He paid your penalty to God. He rose again three days later showing God accepted that. He truly was the Son of God. And he promises all the blessings that David had and others had. That means believe, admit your sin, accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I hope many of us do what verse, uh, what was it, 52 said. We go here filled with the Holy Spirit, rejoicing. We should be very thankful that God did this for us and opened our eyes to see the gospel. And I do pray that we're like Paul and we share this good news with everybody we see. I hope that Easter's not the only day that as Christians we go out and say, hey, there's a great story you need to hear about. It's not a lie. Every Sunday we tell the same story. God saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that Paul shared this sermon and that we could borrow it this morning. And I pray, God, that the same Holy Spirit that moved in the hearts of men and women back then are moving in the hearts of men and women here today. God, I pray for those that maybe for the first time understand their need for a Savior. And I pray, God, that you would open their minds to receive Jesus Christ. And they could be promised eternal life. They could be promised a freedom from sin and forgiveness of sin that's found no other way. There is no other man, name given to man by which we can be saved. God, I pray that we would rejoice in this salvation. Those of us that know you, may we be reminded again what the death and the resurrection of Jesus meant. May we leave here full of the Holy Spirit and full of joy. And may we share this story with all May we, like Paul and Barnabas and others, go wherever we need to go to share the gospel. We love you and we thank you and we ask all this in the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Amen.